Welcome to the podcast, Coming Forward. Coming Forward is an anonymous podcast for victims of abuse to safely come forward and tell their stories in a support group setting. Topics will rotate on a weekly basis following the readings and materials used by the support group ASCA, which stands for Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. The goal of the podcast is to normalize and desensitize some of these difficult topics and hopes to push the needle on our national conversation about sexual, emotional, and physical abuse as it relates to the legal system. Coming forward will serve as a safe and judgment-free space for the most intimate conversations so we can all speak our truth and feel a little less alone. It is important to note that this podcast in no way serves to replace any form of therapy. Participants have the option to be anonymous or state their name, and we respect reasons for doing whichever option they feel the most safe and comfortable with. This podcast may contain explicit descriptions of sexual abuse that may be disturbing to listeners. Listening discretion is advised. Okay, just to give a brief update since posting the first episode, if you're planning on participating in future recordings, please read the disclaimer posted within that episode. And today's topic is confronting and resolving. You can find a reading for this material posted within the notes of this of this episode. We will have a 10 to 15 minute presenter followed by an informal conversation around the topic. To our presenter, thank you so much for being here today. We will pause for a moment of silence and then feel free to start whenever you're ready. No pressure. None. <laughs> I'm not anxious. You're anxious. Um, so confronting my perpetrators for me has been, it was very difficult. I think it's actually been one of the harder, I was going to say hardest. I don't know how you can qualify that, but one of the harder parts of the recovery process for me. And, um, I had multiple. Um, there are two that just because of life and years and geography and whatever, I would never even have the opportunity to to confront. And I, I mean, I don't feel like I need to. And there's one who I have given myself permission to not ever confront because for me, that's what feels better. And safer and just better for my well-being um yeah I just I don't feel like the ends were justified the means there and then um a year ago a year ago I did actually um confront my worst like worst as in most detrimental to me most life impacting um perpetrator and that was one of my parents and um, it was hard. I went, well, let's talk about what it was first. It was, um, it was terrifying for one because, you know, with child abuse, there are all these rules, either spoken or unspoken. Um, in my house, they were largely unspoken, but they were very real. And like, you know, the do not question, do not call anything what it actually is. Don't you dare, um, you know, say that something is wrong that the parent is doing. Absolutely don't tell. So, you know, just all these things. And it was chronic and it started really young. And then with years of gaslighting on top of it, where I just eventually learned to just doubt my own perception and my own 
I had very salient memories, but I, you know, it all gets twisted. So anyway, it was, it was very scary because I was breaking all of those rules um, in one fell swoop. It was kind of devastating in a way because for a few reasons, a big one was, um, so actually backing up a little bit, I went no contact. I was in close connection with that parent right up until 2016 and I'm approaching 50. So, uh, it was a long time. And, um, when I went no contact with them, my only sibling went no contact with me. And I never saw that coming kind of in hindsight, looking back and knowing what I know now, just about our whole family system and all of it. I, I maybe should have seen it coming, but I didn't. And I, I, I mean, I expected there to be some kickback and like, you know, why are you doing this or what are you, I, we are the clear, I am the scapegoat and, and they're the golden child. So I understand that just our roles have always been different and our understanding of our surroundings has been different. But um, yeah, I, I just was not expecting to be cut off and that has been so painful it also, I haven't seen their kids for three years and they're young. Like the youngest two won't even remember me anymore, which just kills me because I love them and they don't know it, you know, but, um, yeah. So there's, there's been a, a cost and I, I knew there would be, I didn't know that would be part of it, but I'm also estranged from a fairly large extended family, um, that I loved being connected with mostly, mostly. Um, so it, yeah, there's been a, an element of, of devastating loss. Um, it's also been, ultimately it's been freeing and like, I did not have, I, I just so admire when people have those George McFly moments where they, you know, they stand up to their, Biff, and then all of a sudden, like their life changes, and they're a totally different person going forward. <laughs> that has not been my experience. Um, but it has been freeing over time. It, it was at the time, even a little bit, just because I had this window of clarity. Um, and then, you know, of course, I backpedaled a lot in my head, but um, the, the longer I'm away, and disconnected and have drawn the line in the sand where I've said like, this happened, this was not okay. And this was the impact to me. These are the consequences to me. The more I have been freed up to like, to figure out who I actually am. I've spent my whole life understanding myself through their prism. And, and, you know, I had no idea where they ended and I began and, confronting them has freed me up to figure that out. And that has been, that's a struggle too, but it's been a good, it's been a good thing. Um, resolving it all has been a little different. Like for me, resolving in this scenario is basically just resolving in my own head and just settling into this is my truth. This is what happened. And like, I was there. So my truth is not up for debate. <laughs> um, 
I was there. It was my experience. So that just, yeah, just kind of getting to that place inside me where I am clear about, about what all happened to me, about the fact that it is all abuse and it was horrible and it was wrong and about the fact that I didn't deserve it no matter what. Um, and then going from there and I'm, I'm not there yet. I, I have, I don't know. Again, I feel like I have these moments of clarity. I have these windows and then there's a lot of time where I just, because of magical thinking, there's still some little person inside that's still going like, but if I could just, if I could just get them to see, you know, whatever. And that's not going to happen. So, um, I think to actually alongside of that, like just giving up the mirage of being loved and being chosen. Um, I think that's why it's hard to, to get to the point where you finally draw the line in the sand. Cause you do have to get to that point inside yourself where you realize like, this is not the parent that you needed and deserved is not coming. They're not there. And that's, you have to be able to go on with your life. I've also had to realize how much that, Everything that I believed about myself um, as a result of just living in that parent's shadow really globalized. And so I'm starting to learn that it, it wasn't a global truth. It was specific to that parent. And there are people, really good quality people in my life who do love me and do choose me. And my parents not ever really getting the hang of being parents wasn't a reflection of me. It was a reflection of them. That's, you know, it's a harder place to get to than it is to read about or whatever. Um, I, I confronted in a letter, um, for me, that was, that was the best way for me to be able to say everything that I needed to say succinctly and like leave my emotion out of it. The dynamic between me and that parent when we're together is just not, it's kryptonite for me. And I just don't, I don't do well. And I, I go right into doubting myself and, you know, backpedaling and whatever. And so I needed to be able to say everything that needed to be said. So for me doing it in a letter was optimal. And that's what I did. Um, it also was helpful because I have a copy of it forever. <laughs> I know what I said when I'm struggling with doubt or whatever. I just go back and read it again, and then I'm like, nope, <laughs> still clear. Um, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, and it, I don't know. It just helped me be more clear because I am a verbal processor, but I really need time to think. And if I'm already in defense mode when I'm with somebody, I already can't think clearly. So, um, yeah, I wrote a letter. It was a really long one. It was like 26 pages. And I stuck to, I actually printed off, I went to, I believe it's childwelfare.gov. And I printed off the definitions of, it lists the different kinds of child abuse and then defines each one. And then it goes into like symptoms that you may see in the child being abused or in the abuser. And I actually used that as a template for my letter, just listing incidences and um, 
things that happened and neglect and, and whatever. And it was helpful for me as I was doing it. Actually, that's why this started. It didn't start out to be something to confront her with. It started out just for my own well-being and recovery process. But listing things and knowing that, you know, they would vehemently deny either doing it or that there was anything wrong with it or I was just being too sensitive or, you know, all these things. And it's like, no, the law says that it's abuse. So there it is. Um, and then I, you know, I just listed as many things as I could. And it wasn't about keeping a record of wrongs. Again, it was for me, it was about putting it in the context of like, it was never okay that these things were done to me ever. And there is no excuse. Like I can stop making excuses for them because there is no excuse for this ever. Um, and then I, you know, I just went on to list like, this is, what the consequences have been to me, the financial ones, the emotional ones, the physical ones, spiritual, just all of it, just laying out, like, as a result of all this, this is my life now. And not even really about blame, just about ownership and responsibility and whatever. So um, that was very helpful for me to, to do it in writing because I just do better that way. Um, and something that was not helpful in this whole process and I'm actually still struggling with is there were very well-meaning people along the way. And I haven't really told a lot of people my whole story, but um, there are always people who haven't been in that situation who will push forgiveness. And I do ultimately still land in the camp where that's something that I choose to head towards um, for me. And I've experienced the power in it in my own life. So like I, I get it and I, I get it, but I, I had people push me way too early. Um, and so on some level I did some of this process kind of backwards in that then when I went to go hold my parent responsible for certain things, there was this thing there going like, no, you already said you forgave them for that. But actually, I had never actually held them responsible for it. And you can't even, you know, like a judge doesn't grant clemency until after there's been, there have been charges, you know. So um, that's been problematic, actually. Not forgiveness itself, but people pushing that on me. And me, you know, I'm always trying to, I tend to be a rule follower. Like I've always found my safety and like knowing what's expected of me and then trying to the best of my ability to just adhere to things as much as they make sense. Um, and so not that that's a rule, but you know, you have enough people saying that, Hey, this is the, this is the thing that will set you free. And in this particular incident, I will say that that has not yet been my not yet been my experience. And it made confrontation more difficult, actually. And, um, yeah, I don't know. So that's kind of the nutshell of my experience. Thank you so much for sharing. How do you feel after after opening up so much information and details about your life? I feel relieved in a way just because it's over, but then I also like I don't I feel like I don't know what I said. So <laughs> there's kind of a glaze over. Yeah. Okay, that's probably normal. Um, would you like any feedback from me being um, the only one here today? Sure. 
Okay. I know we talked about this a little bit before, <laughs> if you can receive it, or I feel like it's hard sometimes to receive feedback. Um, but thank you so much. I got a lot out of your share. I took notes for myself of what I'd like to talk to with you about after. Um, there's so much like, bravery and courage, and I feel like you're so determined on kind of just telling your story and telling your narrative and figuring this out. And I love your legal component that you bring in. I just felt like a cheerleader sitting here. like, yes, like you have to tell them. Um, there is just so much that I, I was just so like my inner child was just so proud of you and moments that I wish that I could get to. And um, especially I really want to talk in detail about the letter. I love that you did that. I want to do that. I think that's amazing that you were able to get something out of it. I love the way you worded it. Um, you're very specific. It makes sense. Everything you're saying makes sense. Um, so much is resonating with me. So thank you very much for opening up. I think I heard that. <laughs> um, one of the first things I wanted to ask you, can you describe, I know what gaslighting is, but can you describe gaslighting for people that are not in our group that do not know these terms? What is gaslighting like? What does it feel like? Because sure. I think that's something I know I throw around. I know I heard it a lot in group, and I think sometimes it's happening to people and I think they don't know what that is. They're like, what is that? And then when you say it, they're like, Oh, this happens to me. I've had this. I know I experienced this, but they don't have a word for it. Yeah. Yeah. So gaslight. And actually I didn't even know that term until like two years ago into therapy. Um, yeah. And I, I read it and I was like, Oh my gosh, that's the story of my life right there. And it comes from, I'm going to get this a little bit wrong probably. So it's okay. If you're listening, fact check. <laughs> yeah. But the origin of the term comes from, I think it was actually a play. In the, It later became a movie, but I think it was a play first in like 1934 or something. Okay. And basically this guy was like driving his wife crazy and he would do things like turn the gas lights lower. And then she would notice that it was not as light in the room. And he would be like, no, it isn't. It's just as bright as it was before. It's no, it isn't. Until ultimately he, he, literally drove her crazy. Um, so gaslighting is basically when, you know, you have somebody who is just constantly, um, wow, I feel like I don't know how to articulate this, like constantly denying the truth in one way or another, or, um, you know, telling you that your perception is inaccurate. So even if you're, if yes. you're, they'll, they'll concede that the event happened, but then they won't, they will, um, they won't allow your perception. It's your perception is wrong. Your memory is wrong. You're, you know, they just whittle away at your recall of your own truth. And after you have that done, you know, when you have it done one time, it's, it's one thing, but when you have it done constantly, like I remember telling somebody when I was 20 years old, I had no language for any of this, but I remember saying this parent, I could be wearing a white shirt, and they could tell me, no, it wasn't. It was purple. And I could know it was white. I could look down and see it was white. But by the time I walked away from that conversation, I would be doubting the color of my shirt. And, like, that is gaslighting. Yeah. I think that's pretty – let's do it quick. I think that's that's pretty accurate in the way I would also view it. Manipulate someone by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. That. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's horrible. It's a horrible thing to do to somebody. Um, that's helpful for, for us to kind of 
know in context. Um, one of the other things I felt very strong and something that I also grapple with, and I think a lot of other people do, is the love for the kids in your family once you did draw that line. Mm-hmm. And that's so hard to think that it just feels like such a disconnection of these people that live in the world that share your DNA in some way that you love deeply, that you don't have a relationship with, and they might or might not know why, and you might or might not ever have it. And it's just like, just all of these unknowns that come with that in our life. I don't know, something about that just really bothers me. I think just our time being so short here and just missing huge chunks of that. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. Um, that felt important. Um, I loved when you said you drew a line in the sand for who you are and how you kind of felt found yourself after that. I also really resonated with that as well. The magical thinking. <laughs> um, I have this all of the time. I think a lot of us do. Um, it's really hard to not go into that state of, yeah, someday they'll understand. Someday... Maybe sometimes I fantasize like I'll make a documentary or something and I'll like force them to sit down and watch it. But even that, (laughs) something that sounds so ridiculous, they probably won't get it. Um, Well, I don't think it helps. You're not alone. (laughs) You thinking of making a documentary or whatever, like I think that, that, and I'm not, I'm not at all blaming. I love movies. I love television, like all that stuff. But I think that on some level, I think that we would have always been prone to magical thinking because it's a survival yeah. skill. Yeah, 100%. But then we have seen, I don't know, nowadays movies are getting more dystopian and realistic. But when, yeah. when I was younger, everything always got solved. Like the parent did turn around at the end when they realized how much they were hurting the child or, you know, the boyfriend or like whatever, there was this moment, this breakthrough moment where the person either said the right thing or they had the right experience or whatever. And then that person realized the error of their ways. And then, and then, you know, they went forward differently. Um, but that's in these, you know, with abusers, they, they thought that their behavior was reasonable in the first place. So, you know, the jumping off point for what's reasonable is already, it's already broken. And so, yeah, the, the clinging to the, the hope that there has to be something that I can say or do differently that will be the thing that makes them, makes it click and makes them realize what's happening. And then I would take them back. Like, you know, it's not, it's yeah. not there. We want that happy ending. We yeah. want that Hollywood Disney happy ending. Yeah. I think something while you were talking that stood out to me. The Michael, I don't know if you've seen the Michael Jackson documentary. It's just four hours, brace yourself. And there's also a very amazing Oprah interview that it recommends you after. Um, So plan for five hours. (laughs) In an hour of journaling. Um, Schedule a session. (laughs) Yeah, schedule a session. (laughs) So yeah, just plan a full day. Um, There's no happy ending there because he's dead. And so maybe we are shifting. And that gives me some type of hope, seeing kind of their progress and seeing where they're able to go and kind of seeing the end of that where it just falls off. And where are they? You said something with the forgiveness and recovery and something they said that really stuck with me was like on the road to recovery, on the road to forgiveness. It's not something that is black or white that's yes or no. And I loved that. And I wanted to share that with you too, because even for myself, 
it's not yes or no. Right. It's like, and I was also forced to do it so early. It's, it's, you're on the road there. And I think that's kind of the most accurate, honest way to put it. And like, if that does not come organically, it's not forgiveness anyway. Yeah. So like strong, strong arming people into that is not helpful because it has to come from, you have to really get to that edge where you're like, you know what? This, I am going to let this go. Not, not let it go. Like say it's okay. But like, I am done with this being a life controlling issue. And so my way of stepping over this line is forgiving that it can't be undone. It can't be whatever, but like you are not going to take one more day of my life by whatever, but yeah, you have to get there. And that's still on you. They're not in control. I almost think they want forgiveness from you so eagerly and with such control and manipulation. So they feel better, Right. but that's not in your best interest. Right. No, not at all. Or on your path or on your own time. Right. It doesn't sound healthy. No. Um, I wrote down parents uh, living in your parents shadow and people choosing you I also really loved that I think that's something that we do unconsciously with the whole living in our parents shadow with the whole um, kind of repeating their self narrative in our own heads Mm -hmm. while we go through life Mm -hmm. I think that was really important to kind of even separate that the way you did so articulate. Thank you. And I'll just say, I, I do go back and forth between feeling a need to protect and I'm still trying to figure out the line of like, what is my right to tell and what is whatever. But, um, I'll go ahead and say like, it was my mother and not that it's better or worse when it's one parent or the other, but how often do you hear in everyday dialogue that like your mother knows you better than anyone and your mother loves you more than, you know, unconditionally and whatever. And for me with my kids, that's true. Yeah. But it, it, that, that reinforced that like, well, if she knows me better than anyone and this is who she says I am, yeah. then I don't even deserve to live really. And I have taken that baggage into every relationship, every job, every, everything, because my reference point for myself is, that I'm not good enough. I'm not worth loving. I'm not, you know, I'm selfish. I'm like all these things. And yeah, getting out of that shadow and realizing like, no, that was her very myopic, distorted projecting. Yeah. That was a huge one to realize that if I made a list of everything that she told me I was or was not, or the way that she made me feel, it actually is a list of characteristics of hers. Mm -hmm. But it took me to this point in my adult life to understand that. It feels like this, almost like a stereotype in a way of something that we just got in a bad habit of saying these things. Yeah. Even, even like, for example, yesterday, my therapist said, and I've heard this in group too, like, um, you know, your mother loves you. Right. And that can be really triggering. And she was like, I mean, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that she, my therapist was even like, I'm going to check myself right here because you just push that on somebody else. I never said those words. You said that. Right. Um, and I think that's important. She was like, she was like, as a mother, I'm sorry. You know, I have to check myself and I just assumed that to everybody. And that's not always the case. Right. And I'm not saying that, that I'm not sharing like what my answer to that question was, like, you know, yeah. But um, I think that's important, and yeah. I think it kind of goes in line with what you're saying. You can't just assume that's the case for everyone and look at what happens when you do that. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I think that people 
most mothers do love their children. Right. And it's very hard for the for us to wrap our brain our brains around like I can't wrap my brain around not loving my children. I'm not a I'm not a perfect mom, but I love my kids fiercely and they know it. And so I can't that's part of also feeds into my magical thinking because like I just can't wrap my brain around anything else. Mm -hmm. But it's not the same. We're not the same person. And just because most moms do love their kids unconditionally and most moms do know their kids better, it doesn't mean that all moms do. And yeah. mine didn't. I didn't even know that was a thing until I, and I'm not referring to anyone specific shares, I'm referring to Asa kind of as a whole, but mm -hmm. until people came in as a whole and shared from a fundamentally deep place, yeah. they didn't feel like their parents loved them. Yeah. And then I, that kind of opened a light bulb for me, like, oh, this is something that is real. This is something that people struggle with. Again, kind of tying back to what you were saying. Um, but I think that's important. Lastly, um, probably one of the things we could have started first was your letter. That I probably should have started that first. Um, <laughs> Two minutes left. <laughs> no, we're no, good. I'm just. Saying. I think we're okay. Let's check really quick. No, we're 28 minutes. We're we're fair. Okay. Um, the letter that was. I also wrote a letter, but mine was not anywhere near how organized yours was. You went off a database. What was that database? Um, I want to do what you did, honestly, even though I already kind of did a letter. I would yeah. still like to do that again, whether or not I send it or not, but for the process. Yeah. I really liked that. I really wish I even knew how to do that. How did you find that that template? How did you think to even do this in the first place? So... Um, I had read like the concept of just a a letter that basically just covered um, this is what you did these are the consequences to me. I read in I think it was um, I think it was mothers who can't love and the name of the person who wrote that is oh Susan Forward Dr Susan Forward she wrote like toxic parents emotional okay. blackmail whatever okay. and um. And and she wasn't necessarily saying that you do. I was I I just needed to do it in my own journal in my own head. Like I needed to be able to talk back to her for once in my life. And so I'm like, okay, that seems palatable. Yeah. <laughs> if I just have this smaller, you know, skeleton thing. And then even with that, I had trouble. Like even in the privacy of my own journal, I had trouble. And so um, for me. If I could, go ahead. I was going to say, so her book refers refers you to some template. And, and no, no, no. She just was talking about, um, she was just talking about writing a letter to Got it. the okay. parent that you're having trouble with and, you know, name what they did and what the consequences have been to you. Okay. So that, that was kind of my jumping off point for how, because otherwise I feel like I would just ramble for 50 pages. Yeah. And not that there's anything wrong with that either. But this was such a hard thing for me to do yeah. that I felt like I needed some kind of bumpers. I, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. like I needed something to, to kind of guide. Yeah, structure. So that was where that was where I was going to start. I was just going to try to list, um, list events, list specific incidences, you know, whatever, um, and then list the consequences to me. And then in the meantime, when I started just having trouble doing that, even just for my own sanity, I went to, I Googled um, definitions of child abuse because once again, I needed to go back to something in writing, something legal. Yeah. Like this is the law. So whether you 
will assign these different things as being abuse or not. This is what the law says constitutes abuse. So first it was for me. And it was, you know, I would list things in their categories. You know, they have, a, they have physical abuse, um, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, whatever. And I would just look at the list that I had written down of things that I, you know, remembered or, or whatever and start picking where they fell. And, um, and then the symptom thing was actually helpful too. They, they list in, under each category. So these are the, these are this definition of physical abuse. These are some mm -hmm. symptoms that you may see in a child that's being physical abused. These are some symptoms you may see in an abuser. Mm. And, um, I was seeing myself over and over and over again and, and seeing her over and over and over again. And so I just, it was helpful for me for my own sanity to refer to that. And then that actually gave me some courage to go, no, I can actually yeah. say this to her because this is not refutable. Like you don't get to say that it wasn't, that it wasn't abuse because it was. And so, um, yeah, that it, so it kind of ended up reading almost like an indictment in a way. Yeah. Um, but that was helpful for me. And ultimately by the time I finished it, I was like, no, I think I am actually going to send this to her. Um, I love that. And I love that it gave you the courage as well yeah. to have that solid, like validation. Yeah. Which I was not concrete expecting. way. Yeah. 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 And I think for me, because of the way that my brain works and whatever it was, I felt better about it. Um, knowing that it was, that it was succinct and that it was, um, I don't know, provable in some way. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And then even you when can't I deny this, it's right. Undeniable. Right. And when yeah. I got to listing the consequences to me, I listed connected diagnoses because those have been diagnosed by doctors. Like it's not just me saying like, Oh, because you did this now I can't do this. Right. Like these are things that I have going on with me now and have for a long time. And there's direct correlation between these two and yeah. whatever. So yeah, that's really helpful. I, I want to do that. And I hope that a lot of people get something out of that and maybe eventually also do that as well. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you feel like sharing today? That was on my notes. I don't know. Maybe I was thinking when we were just talking just now that um, I sent it, um, whatever kind of, I don't know, I never know the right, I always ask the lady at the post office, I'm like, this is what I need out of this. You just tell me which one. She's like, okay, it's this and it's $4. Um, but whatever way that I got, I guess return receipt requested or whatever. Anyway, yeah. I, I tracked it. So I knew for sure that it got delivered. I have gotten no, oh, that was the other thing. I was, okay, so I got no response. And I wasn't expecting one. If anything, I was expecting like something really nasty in return. Yeah. But it was before I sent it, before I decided that I was gonna do that, for me, it was super important to be very clear for myself about what my intention was and what my expectations were, if any. Because if some part of me was sending this hoping it would change yeah, my mind, it's so important. then I needed to back up a little bit because I still, yeah. So um, I was very clear when I sent it that my intention was purely about, like I said, like me drawing a line in the sand for myself. Yeah. And I knew she wasn't gonna, she's never apologized for anything ever. So this, you know, this was not going to go down well, but, um, part of the reason that I had, that I had tracking on it was because I tend to always 
stumble into giving the benefit of the doubt to anybody. And not that that's a bad characteristic, but it does not always serve me. And I did that. I'm like, mm, don't make excuses. Maybe she, she maybe she, right. yeah, maybe right. she, of course, maybe she didn't get it. Right. And actually not that many months ago, I, I punched, I found the receipt and I punched in the tracking and like, sure, of course you got it. Yeah. And it was delivered. Um, and on some level, there being just radio silence from the other end has been, it's hurtful. Like my family has given zero chase for me at all. And it's, you have to reckon with that. Like, yeah, they don't choose me and we all want to be chosen. Right. Um, but it's also been helpful, kind of undeniable proof that like, well, yeah, no, <laughs> there's yeah. been no response whatsoever. So, um, but I did need to be ready for that. And so again, yeah, going into it, being clear about what, what my goal was and if I had any expectations, what they were. I think that's so important. And yeah. you kind of went into it basically expecting worst case scenario. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to get a response right. when it came from that place. And even like you said, when you, um, did it in the first place, it wasn't even to send it. So it sounded like this whole yeah. journey was really from yeah. a good place yeah. from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, and the piece about, uh, people choosing you, it makes me think of, um, kind of that being a more meaningful life to live where yeah. you're building your own family outside of the family yeah. that you were given yeah. in ways that people do continue to choose you over and over again. And not because they have to, but because yeah. they want to. And I do think there's a richness that comes with that. There is. And even I'm starting to be able to open myself up to like, even, even ASCA, like I hear people refer say like, this is part of my family. And I'm yeah. like, you know what? I get that. I don't even know anybody's names for her. You feel so close to it. Yeah, yeah, you do. And I, these people, I can say anything in here, in here, in here, here, where I'm at. Yep. And it, yeah, it's been, it's actually been way more helpful and healing than I had any idea that it would be. And it's so funny to me because it's not even like we, it's not even like we sit there and talk to each other. No, it's not. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very like cold, not cold, but very structured. structured. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And yet it is this really powerful community that I do feel safe in and I do feel welcome in and I do feel accepted in. And those are things that I've actually never felt at my family, even at a point where I would have said that I did. Right. Like looking back, I'm like, well, no, actually, no. there are so many things I never would have said in their presence or yeah. let them know that I thought or felt. And yeah. Yeah. So that's true. And I think there's also something to be said about um, the ASCA kind of community and it being different in a way that I don't even really know how to put in towards yet, but different from a therapy one on one session. Yeah. There yeah. is some type of social support. It's hard to, for me to explain, but. Yeah. You just feel it. Yeah. You feel connected and bonded to people in a very deep way. You don't have to even talk to them afterward. Yeah. You feel like people are saying exactly what you're thinking and feeling or have felt in ways that you haven't even put into words yet. Yeah. Um, it's just such a deep bond and connection. It, it, it still feels still to me very different from a therapy session, even though I do feel very close and bonded in a different yeah. way there. The validation is super powerful. Yes. And I've said to my husband, I'm like, it is, it blows my yeah. mind every single time how the details can be so incredibly yes. different. And yet the thoughts and the struggles and whatever are basically universal. Yeah. Like somebody did a long share the other night and our circumstances were different, but I connected with so much of their share because, because and like that is so hearing stuff come out of other people's mouths 
as a struggle or as a, a thought process or whatever, it is so helpful to, yeah, just, I don't know. No, you're, you're like, not that's alone. Me. You're yeah. Alone. yeah. Yeah. I thought I invented that. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. Well, that's a nice note to end on. So we'll wrap up. Thank you for being here. Thank you.